Podcasting from a small town in the Bible Belt, you're listening to the Environmental Christian Podcast. No, that is not an oxymoron. It's a podcast for environmentalists and Christians and Christian environmentalists and environmental Christians. Just keep listening. It's a podcast for you. Monday Thursday is one of my favorite services of the year. I think it started when I was probably in sixth grade. Uh, The pastor at my home church prepared a Seder meal. And so we had all the elements there of what Jesus' Last Supper may have looked like. And I had never heard the history explained as well as I had that night. And so, instead of me trying to explain it, uh, Ryan is back with us. He's going to share his Monday Thursday service with us, and I hope you enjoy it and learn as much as I have from it. In Genesis chapter 12, when God calls a man named Abram uh, to go, and he could have said no, but he didn't. He said yes. And, And because he said yes, that he would go where it was that God was sending him, he's calling him to be the father of a great nation. He makes a covenant with him, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all the world will be blessed. Well, tonight is really the fulfillment, is, is remembering and calling to mind the, the, the fulfillment of that covenant for all the world to be blessed. Because up until that time, really the blessings fell on God's chosen people, Israel. But, but tonight begins the narrative that opens God's blessings up to all the world through the sacrifice of Jesus for everyone. And so I'll say Genesis 12 is really where this story starts, though I'm sure there's even earlier than that if we want to think about it. But we know that that Abram became Abraham, and he became the father of a great nation, the father of Isaac, and ultimately the father of the grandfather of Jacob who wrestled with God and whose whose name was changed to Israel, who became the father over 12 sons, who became 12 tribes, and Israel took on the name of a nation. And we know that, that through this narrative, as is, is the, the book of Genesis closes, uh, this whole nation of Israel is saved from a great famine that had swept the land by Joseph, one of those tribes. Because he had gotten in good uh, with the Pharaoh in Egypt and, and was able to be there and to, and to have everything provided for them while this great famine swept through. The problem was is they got very comfortable in Egypt. And Egypt wasn't the land that God was preparing for them. Egypt wasn't that land flowing with milk and honey, that land Canaan that God had prepared for them to settle. But they had everything they needed, and so they settled in Egypt and became complacent. And that's where Genesis ends. As Exodus, the book of Exodus begins, we see several generations have passed, and all of the people in leadership, the Pharaoh and others, had forgotten about the loyalty of this Israelite Joseph and how he had saved really the nation of Egypt as well as the nation of Israel. And the Pharaoh sees that this people 
Israel had grown so mighty that if they became organized, they could form an army and overthrow Egypt. And so the way they chose to combat that was to enslave them. And they were merciless in how they enslaved this people, Israel. Eventually, the people were so frustrated, they became hopeless. And Exodus says they cried out to God, and it says God heard their cries. And he called a man by the name of Moses to lead God's people to freedom. We know that Moses was a reluctant leader and that he took a lot of convincing, but finally he said yes, and really what better person than, than an Israelite who actually grew up in the Pharaoh's home. And so he went to Pharaoh and gave the message that God had given to him to say, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And it took a series of plagues showing God's might. Nine of them up until the point that I want to pick up. A couple of times, Pharaoh even almost relented, but then he changed his mind when, when, when the plague sort of released. So God said to Moses, there's going to be one more plague. And after this plague, the Pharaoh will relent and he will let my people go. Here's what I want you to do to get ready. I want you to pack all your belongings up. I want to get everybody ready to go. I want you to get dressed and be ready to go. And then I want you to have your staffs in your hands. And then I want you to have one final meal together. And here's how, what I want it to be. I want you to have unleavened bread because there's really not time to let it rise, the bread. And you're going to need to make enough to take with you to eat on. And then I want you to get a lamb, not just any lamb, but a lamb without blemish. And I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to drain the blood. And then I want you to, to use the blood. And I want you to, to wipe it over the doorposts of your house. And then I want you to, to cook it. And I want you to eat it all. And if you can't eat it all, then invite another family to come over and eat it with you. And then what's left, I want you to burn it all up. I don't want to have any leftovers. Because on this night, the angel of death is going to pass through all of Egypt. And it's going to strike down the firstborn of every house from the Pharaoh's to the lowest of servants, and the firstborn even of all the animals. But if the angel sees the blood of the unblemished lamb over the doorpost of your home, it will pass over your house. And from here on out, you will call this night the Passover, and you will celebrate it every year. From this point forward, every single year, you and your family will get together, and you will celebrate the Passover, and you will remember what I did for you this night, how I delivered you from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And everything transpired just as God had said. The Israelites did everything they were supposed to, and Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. They came up to the edge of the Dead Sea, and, and, and God said, use that staff, that staff that I had shown you that you threw down, and, and it became a snake, and you picked it back up, and it became a staff again, the staff that you used to, to initiate these plagues. I want you to strike the water, and when he did, the waters parted, and Israel walked across on dry land. And we know, though, that Pharaoh did change his mind again. And he sent his army to go and get the Israelites. You see, he needed them to, to do the work. They were very reliant upon the Israelites to carry out the work that nobody else wanted to do in Egypt. 
We know that once Israel all got onto the other side, that the waters came crashing back down, killing the Egyptian army and creating separation so that they were, in fact, free. And from that point, every year, up until this Saturday night, which will be the Jewish Passover, Jewish people will get together and will celebrate what God did for them that night, how God freed them from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. Now, it took on a different form when they were wandering in the wilderness, and it takes on a different form for many who are separated from Jerusalem, but for those who lived within a reasonable distance of Jerusalem, and for a long time, everybody everywhere was required on that night to descend upon Jerusalem to the temple, and they would rent out every space and find every space to hold their Passover meals. And they would come to that town no matter where they lived. They would find a space to have their meal. They would set it up just as God had told them about with significant symbolism throughout the meal. There would be salt water that would signify the tears that they cried when they were slaves at the hands of the Egyptians. There would be the lamb, a reminder of that lamb without blemish whose blood saved them. There would be unleavened bread, remembering there wasn't time to let the yeast rise. There would be the heriseth and, and the bitter herbs reminding them of the bitterness of, the, of, of being a slave. The heriseth reminding them of the mortar, the bricks that they made while they were slaves. All of these symbolisms, along with some of the, some of the fruits and nuts and, and other things that were dry that they could have and get a hold of to have as part of that meal. The way they uh, got the lamb was a little interesting. You just didn't go get a lamb and cook it. You'd find a lamb, the best you could find, a lamb without blemish. You would take it with its legs tied up, alive to the temple. The priest would be there, and it, it became there. I mean, you think about the sheer volume of lambs that they would have to sacrifice to have to slaughter. They would be set up all around the outside of the temple on those little altars. There'd be hot coals on the altar there, and they would, they would offer, you would come up and you'd offer the lamb to the priest, and he would hold it by its legs, and he would say, whose lamb is this? And the head of the house would respond, well, this is the lamb for Ryan. And he would slit the lamb's throat. And the blood would drip down and sizzle on the ashes. And he would say, behold the lamb of Ryan that takes away his family's sins. And then the next one would come up and, and, and they would say, whose, whose lamb is this? Well, it's the, it's the lamb of David. You say, well, behold the lamb of David that takes away his family sins. And, and behold the lamb of Wendell that takes away his family sins. That's significant because we know that when Jesus came to John to be baptized, the first thing out of John's mouth when he saw Jesus is, behold the lamb of God. Who takes away God's family's sins. The people who heard that would have known that was Passover language. There's no way they would have known exactly what it meant, though. That Jesus was that lamb without blemish. That lamb that takes away the sins of God's family. Jews, Gentiles. 
the whole world that God loves. And so we know on, that, on Palm Sunday that we just celebrated this past Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry. He and his disciples were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this very meal. Now, they wanted Jesus arrested. They wanted him dead. And so Jesus had to lay low. The disciples did the work of, of preparing the meal, of getting the lamb, of getting it slaughtered, of getting it cooked, and everything set on the table in that upper room that they had had reserved for them. And then Passover began at sunset. And so for, for Jesus, he waited till the sun had set, and he kind of steals in to that upper room. And they all sit to eat. And the way it would work would be, it was a very scripted message. It was a message that you didn't stray from. It was a message that every single Jewish person had heard every single year of their life. And it would follow the exact same wording without any changes, without fail every year. And it would be a series of questions and answers that recalled that night of the original Passover when God freed his people from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And the youngest at the table of a certain age would be the one to ask the questions, and the head of the table would be the one to answer the questions. A lot of people think that perhaps the youngest of the disciples was John, the one who wrote the gospel, the gospel writer John. And so perhaps he was the one asking the questions. We know who was answering the questions, the head of that group, Jesus, the one they called teacher. And every year that they had been together as a group, they celebrated that meal, and before that, it was with their families and, and their parents and their grandparents. And before that, it's something that they were very used to, and they knew how it was going to be. They could go over it in their mind. And the night started like any other night. And I'm sure they went through, and as the youngest would have asked Jesus the questions, well, why do we have Hariseth on the table? Well, the Hariseth reminds us of the mortar of the bricks that we had to make, and that was hard, hard labor, and they would answer it that way. He would say, well, why do we have a lamb on the table? Well, the lamb was without blemish and its blood was used to put over the doorpost. And that's what gave the angel of death the sign to pass over that house and not strike down the firstborn. Why do we have bitter herbs? Why do we have salt water? And on and on and on. But there were some differences this one. And when they got to the point where the question was asked... Why do we have unleavened bread at this meal? And by the way, this is what our confirmands made today. It's used, uh, it's made with uh, whole wheat flour and olive oil and salt and water, pretty much the same things that they would have used that day to make them. It doesn't taste very good, but it would taste exactly the same 30 days from now. <laughs> Which was good if you're about to go on a journey. And they might not have even had salt because that was expensive. We put a lot of salt in this. So. And the answer Jesus was supposed to say was there was no time for the bread to rise. But when the question was asked on this night, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, that would have surprised the disciples. That's not the script. It's not what was supposed to be answered. And besides that, what in the world does Jesus mean? And this is my body broken? Eat it? And I'm sure there was a hush that sort of fell over, and Jesus probably just let it hang there for a little bit as they tried to figure it out. They'd pass it around and eat it. 
Maybe after that, for a little bit, it got back on script. I don't know. But at one point, the question was asked about the cups on the table. There would have been four cups. Each one of them held different significance, a cup of bitterness, a cup of uh, praise, Hallel cup, Hallel means praise, Yah means Yahweh, Hallelujah is praise to God. We don't know which cup it was, but one of the cups was asked about. And it was supposed to be describing whatever the significance of that cup was. But on that night, Jesus took the cup. And he gave thanks to God, and then he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Again, there's no way they could have fathomed what it was Jesus was talking about. Not then, but a few short hours later, maybe as they saw Jesus hanging on a cross, his body broken, blood coming out of his side and his feet and his hands, from his head where the crown of thorns had been pressed in, maybe then it hit them what he meant when he said, my body broken and my blood shed. Surely, after he had been raised and they're thinking back on those events, it all made sense to them. But there's no way they could have. And so on this night, this night that we understand is the beginning of Jesus instituting Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the body, our Lord's Supper, Jesus did something pretty amazing. He took a meal that still today reminds a whole group of people about how God delivered them from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, and he transformed it to a meal that reminds the whole world how God has delivered them from slavery to sin and death. And he calls us tonight to come and to take and to eat, to take and to drink and remember just as our Jewish sisters and brothers will remember how God delivered them, we need to remember how God has delivered us from the slavery that has shackled us because of our sin. And how God, though our sins are like scarlet, has made them white as snow. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine and for the significance they hold in our lives. And on this night, on this holy, holy night, may they be for us the body and blood of Christ. And as we take these symbols into our bodies, may we be reminded that you live in us and we're called to be Jesus to a world that's hurting and broken and needs to know love. Draw us closer to you, Lord, through this meal. Draw us closer to each other, Lord, through this meal. And Lord, help us to do a better job at ministering to this world until you come and everyone can come and feast at your heavenly banquet together. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Environmental Christian. If you have a question or comment pertaining to the podcast or Christians in the environment, please send me an email at environmentalchristian at gmail.com or check out The Environmental Christian on Facebook. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.